Good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, Church in the Valley. We're glad that you guys are here. My name is Alex Barrett. I'm the campus pastor here at uh, Church in the Valley. And we're in the middle of a series called Relationships at the Box Office. And over the last few years, we've been looking at movies uh, during the summer, the summer releases that are coming out in theaters, and pulling out kind of themes of the movies and kind of talking about how does that relate to our own life, comparing and contrasting that with our own experience, and then also looking at what, what does that say about, uh, how do we find that in the, in the scriptures, and what does God have to say about that, that same uh, theme? And this year, we're continuing uh, just the, the trend of looking at movies, but specific this year, we're looking at what do movies say about relationships, uh, how we should treat each other, or what should our expectations be, or how should we respond as we relate to people. And anytime you watch a movie, uh, most of the time there's conflict and there's relationships, and you kind of see how the, the actors and the directors and the producers decide how a group of people will resolve a problem or how they're going to move forward with the issue that, that they've faced. And as that happens in a movie, uh, it's much more than just a drama or a comedy or an action. They're, they're actually explaining how they think life should work based on what happens. Uh, was the experience good? Was it bad? How did it turn out? Who was the hero? Did they act like a hero? And all sorts of things can happen. And so our goal of the course of this series is to look at what does the Bible say about relationships? And then what are the things that we need to do as we sometimes can get carried away by the different messages we receive in the media? What, what can we do to make sure that we're not just reflecting culture and media in our thinking, but we're actually reflecting what the Bible says about how we should relate? And so that actually takes work because if you're like me, oftentimes as we approach media, it can be like a sponge. Uh, last night I got home from a really long day, went hiking in the morning with a lot of you, and then we went out to Santa Monica and all sorts of just walking. And I got home and what I was thinking was I just, I just want to like relax and I just want to put my feet up and I just like want to watch Sports Center. And that's like how it can be for us. Maybe not all of you like are in a sports center, but there's something like the idea of just sitting down and just turning off your brain and just allowing something to entertain you. That's very appealing. Um, but with everything that we watch, we can be like sponges. We just can kind of receive the messages. And so it's our really duty as Christians, as followers of Christ, if you decide to follow Christ, to you can't really ever just turn off your brain and be a sponge. Uh as you kind of get things absorbed into your mind and as things absorb into your heart, you have to actually have to think, like, was this true? Is this right with how God intends for me to act in a situation? So you begin to kind of squeeze out the sponge and fill it with the truth of God's word. And so as a Christ follower, the reason we talk so much about reading the scriptures is because that's our way of kind of wringing out the messages that we have and filling it with the truth of God's word. And God really does know how reality flows because he made it. He made it. Our world, he made us. And so we look to him for, for guidance. And so over the course of this series, we've been kind of looking to God for guidance in the midst of some of the things that are native to us in our relationships. And I just want to kind of briefly uh, talk through what, where we've been so far. We kicked off the series X-Men Apocalypse. We talked about the, the issue of pride in our relationships. And there's this kind of pattern in relationships that kind of fall under this umbrella of relationship killers like what are the things that we can tend to do in our relationships that kind of dry out and kill the relationships the relationships still may exist 
but it may be hollowed out, it may be rotten, it may actually not be a healthy, functional relationship. And so we kicked off the series talking about pride and how that really can hurt us, specifically as we don't forgive people, specifically as we uh, don't seek forgiveness as we've done wrong. And then the second week we talked about the second relationship killer, which is not being honest with who you are. The, the idea of in our relationships, a lot of times we want to put our best face forward. We want people to see what we want them to see. And we looked at the movie. Now you see me too. this idea of how we can deceive each other uh, in order to kind of keep up the appearance that we want people to have. And in a relationship, when people don't know you and you don't know them, it's really hard to, to have deep growing relationships. And so we, we talked about that. And then last week uh, we talked about finding Dory and the issue of poor communication and good communication is the idea I have in my head actually matches the idea that you get in your head as I speak to you. But for that to happen actually takes a lot of work. And if you've been in any sort of relationship, you know that there's so many times that there's communication problems and they can seem like a not, not a big deal, but over time communication problems can actually build a lot of walls and relationships too. And so this week we're going to shift gears and we're going to talk about something that is actually kind of deeper level. Like there's communication problems and the kinds of words that build up and the kinds of words that can, can hurt and destroy. And then there's, there's strategies. And today we're talking about the art of manipulation. Okay. Now manipulation is something that for the most part is blind to us a lot. Like we don't usually wake up thinking like, how can I manipulate the people around me? Right. We, we don't tend to, to think like that. Uh, but we know when it's been done to us a lot of times, there's a sense in which we don't know when we do it, but we know when it's been done to us. And that's kind of how manipulation works. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But we're talking on the movie uh, Tarzan today. And there's a movie coming out or it's out this weekend. Uh, that's not it. That's the original book. But it's called The Legend of Tarzan, which this is the original book that was written many years ago. This is a classic story. Uh, I don't know if you ever read this, but this was a story that was written um, I believe uh, in the early 1900s, and it's kind of this story's been carried on. It's about this this boy who, with his family, was stranded on an island, and John Clayton was his English name. He's from Britain, and in this exploration, he gets stranded, and then he's alone to survive on this island, and he becomes friends with the apes, and Tarzan is his ape name. And it's this kind of story of survival that's kind of been passed on year after year after year after year. Then it got popular when Disney picked it up. And then you may have seen this. This was, this was actually like 20 years ago this came out. Now, you may have seen it, but what I remember this for is like the best soundtrack ever. <laughs> Phil Collins like recorded every song. You'll be in my heart. Remember that? You're like, no. You may have heard it. That just did not reflect the song. Uh, so kind of Tarzan came back into uh, existence. And then part of the story of Tarzan is there's a gal called Jane and it's crazy. Same thing happened to her. She got stranded on the same island. And then there's Tarzan and Jane. And you ever heard like me, Tarzan, you, Jane, he's learning how to relate to her as an ape. And then he's like, wait, I'm not an ape. And you guys know what I'm talking about? Like it's Tarzan, classic, classic story. Well, the legend of Tarzan that the movie that just came out is now actually fast forward 20 years kind of from where this story left off of Tarzan and Jane and trying to figure out. He's now away from the island and he's back in Great Britain, Britain but he gets actually called back to go uh, on this exploration. And that's, you could see like as time, like 
there was Tarzan and Jane. Go back to that Disney one. And they go back. Now you see, got to make it a little bit more aggressive. A giant ape and Tarzan. And so uh, the movie now is, is following him kind of coming back to the island, but it's under some false pretense. There's some things that he was told that he was going to be doing to help with the government and this group to, to kind of help move forward some strategies and some things that need to happen. But really, he was being used as a pawn in this grand plan by the, the nemesis that the enemy in the movie, Christopher Waltz. And Christopher Waltz is like the best, he's the best bad guy. And in this movie, he, that, that's what he is. And so really, this idea of being used as a pawn, uh, Tarzan was manipulated. And you think like, Tarzan, how could you be manipulated? Well, you can't have a story, the legend of Tarzan, unless Tarzan gets manipulated and then figures out how to kind of undo the knot of manipulation. Okay, if you're thoroughly confused because you've not seen it, it might be a good movie to go see. But in this movie, the reason it's important is there's uh, this kind of whole thing that kind of happens because of what was asked of him, where he's going under something that was told to him that he believed was true and it ended up being false. And and he was used as a pawn, like I mentioned. And that feeling of being used as a pawn, that is really the sense of how manipulation happens. Somebody is using you to get their needs met or you're using them to get your needs met. And that is really where manipulation comes from. So I want to show the trailer and then we're going to talk about this some more. We will never survive. I have done all I can to protect my family. Today, I buried my wife. Now I fear for my child.
as you can imagine, a big part of the strategy is as Tarzan's being used for purposes that are, are not his own and for things that he wasn't told about, his, his only kind of thing to turn to is strength and to overpower and to fight back against being used. And that, that tends to happen in relationships a lot, too. As we feel like we're being used by people, we, we kind of have some different strategies to fight against that. Either we kind of power up back over them or we retreat back and we don't want to relate to that person because of how they're manipulating us. And so we're going to kind of try to undo the different aspects of how we can be manipulated and talk a little bit more than just fighting back. Uh, many times in movies, like as you watch this, there's a part of you like where you're kind of drawn to the fight, especially if, if you're a guy like, you know, you got gorillas next to you fighting. You're like, yes, where's my gorillas? It's like, don't go to the zoo. Bad things happen. Right. But in the movie, like this idea of here's a conflict and then just fight back. Well, fighting back in a movie like is a great movie. That's what we want to go see. We want to be entertained. But just fighting back in relationships or in life, it actually doesn't work like that. And so I want to kind of talk about what manipulation is, why we do it. And it's kind of an opportunity for us to be real within ourselves of just maybe are there times where I am using somebody else uh, to meet my needs. And so we're going to talk about that. But I want to define manipulation first. Manipulation, you'll see it up on the the screen here, is to treat or operate with or as if with the hands or by mechanical means, especially in a skillful manner. Like when you manipulate something, you're trying to get it to, to do something as you're using it. So equipment you can manipulate. Uh, You can also to manage or utilize skillfully. So the first two there are how you manipulate something to get it to do what you need to do. Uh, If you build something, if you're fixing something, to manipulate is great. The problem is when you begin to try to get somebody to move and do something for you that's a person, it doesn't work like a thing. And this is the second part. To control or play upon by artful, unfair, or insidious means, especially to one's own advantage. Or to change by artful or unfair means so as to serve one's purpose. So when we're talking about manipulating people, it's, it's using somebody for my own needs, for my own purpose. I have a plan for someone else's life. And it may not be their whole life, but it may just, I have a plan for that person today to meet a need that I have. And so that's kind of this idea of of what manipulation is. But how do we do it? How do we tend to manipulate people? I just kind of want to briefly go through this. And as I'm doing this, this is not meant to to kind of make you feel guilty. But if you recognize that you've done this before, just kind of make a note like, yep, I've done that. Or if you recognize that this has been done to you, it's just a way of us to kind of like unpacking. Is this real? And I think if you're like me. Manipulation is is actually real. It enters in our relationships, sometimes without us even knowing. And so uh, how we manipulate others, specific ways, uh, we make people feel guilty. Have you ever done that? Just just think to yourself, have you ever wanted something from somebody else and you've asked them to do it? And you think the only way I can really get them to do it is to put a little guilt in there. Have you ever you ever done that? Like you just, you just don't want to ask him. You want to just put a little bit like, could you please do this for me? And and if you can't, it's not going to work out. 
I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to go there. I'm not going to be able to experience this. Could you do this for me? It's just this. It's not just that they ask. It's kind of the leverage of if they don't help you in a certain way, if they don't do something for you, your life is going to be messed up because of it. And we do that by by guilt a lot. Uh, A second way is we insinuate things instead of speaking directly. We actually learn this at a young age. And this is like not going to destroy relationship manipulation. When you're a kid, did you ever see like one of your friends eating something like, hey, what's that taste like? That's actually a form of manipulation. Because are you really asking what it tastes like? No, you're, you're, you're saying like, hey, what does that taste like? Because you have that to taste and I don't have that to taste. And if it tastes good, which I think it does, that's why I'm asking, I'd really like a taste. But that just takes a long time to actually unpack. So it's just, how's that taste? Right? And then the person that's kind of really, you know, slick or really likes it, like it tastes really good. They just look at you. Like, let's, let's dance. Right? Insinuating, we can do that. Uh, the third, we have a hidden agenda to meet our expectations. Like we're not actually forthcoming with something that we want someone else to do. But we have an agenda for them. Like in our mind, we have this, this expectation of them. But we have not told them that we have an expectation of them. This happens to me sometimes in my life. Like I have a picture of like, what would my my weekend look like? And sometimes I want to wake up and I just want to like read the newspaper. And I want to like drink a cup of coffee. That would be like the great start to the weekend. But sometimes what I what I have is like I have this expectation and as long as nothing else happens and that can happen, it's going to be a great weekend. But if something gets in the way of that, then I'm going to be upset. I haven't told everyone in my family, hey, just so you guys know, tomorrow morning, no one bother me. I want a cup of coffee and I want to read the newspaper. Because that's how I want my weekend to start. You know, I have young kids like that doesn't really work. But if that doesn't happen, I can get kind of upset and agitated. You ever experienced that? You, you're bothered by something and you realize like they haven't met my expectations. And sometimes if you're honest with yourself, you realize, well, you know what? They actually didn't know. And so a big part of manipulation is just sometimes there's this hidden agenda and expectation that you have for someone else. And they actually don't know it. And relationships can get so messed up so many times because you're dealing with one person that has information, the other person that doesn't. And the conflict is is happening because you're not on the same page. But it happens with this kind of hidden agenda you have for somebody else. The fourth way is... We can strategize to see how people can meet our needs. This is, I have an expectation, and the previous one is I haven't communicated. Well, this one is, I have an expectation and an agenda for you, and now I'm going to strategize so you can actually do what I want you to do. Now, the thing with manipulation is, if you've kind of looked at that list, this is kind of hard to pinpoint in our own hearts. Because the art of manipulation is, it's hidden a lot of times. It's hidden in, in our own heart. It's hidden in our mind. Like we have things that we don't really want people to, to know about. But we want them to do something for us. And so at the root of all of this is, is our heart. And the reason that we tend to do this, to guilt people or have expectations for people, 
is we are looking at someone else to meet our needs. And here's like the human condition that I think we all deal with. We want other people to meet our needs, but we don't want to kind of communicate to that person that we need them to do that or that we need help. For the most part, we like to be pretty independent people. So what happens with manipulation is we like to be independent people, but we also want people to meet our needs. So as long as they can meet our needs without me telling them that I need them to do it, it's all going to work. You've experienced that. That's what happens in relationships. That's why sometimes they can be so messy. Because I want to still hold my kind of independence and my self-sufficiency. But at the same time, I need you to do something for me. But I'm not just going to ask. Because for me to ask means that I actually need something from you. And that can display some weakness that I don't want to display. Now, all of this happens in the split second of relationships. It happens in marriages. It happens with coworkers. It happens with your kids. It happens all around. Just this, this art of manipulation. The definition of manipulation. It's like the art of doing it. It's this, the sense of it's a lot of times it's underneath the surface. It's not just straightforward. It's, it's, an, it's art. It can be crafty in a way. And it begs the question, like, well, why do I, why do, I do that? So I want to talk a little bit about why do we do some of the things that we've been talking about in this series, specifically manipulation, but why do we sometimes choose pride? Why do we sometimes want to deceive people? And again, it all flows from the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. This is defining the heart and how it is the thing that guides our decision. It guides our decisions. Out of our heart, our life flows So what goes in our heart determines our choices. It determines our attitudes. It determines our actions. And it's within our heart. That's why so many times we talk about the heart. Because out of it flows our life. So the scriptures tell us you're supposed to guard this above everything. Because what gets into your heart, what you want, your view of things, this will actually lead you down paths. Okay? And so I want to talk about where behavior comes from. Um, This is a heart diagram that was established by Harold Bullock, um, a really wise man. And he he talks about the heart to to, like unpack. What does it mean for the heart to be something that guides you? Well, in our heart, we both have good and and bad desires. We're a mixed bag. Uh, We want to love people, but at the same time, like we can be selfish. Uh, We want to help people, but at the same time, like we want people to help us. And we can look out for other people, but at the same time, we want them to look out for us. And so our desires are mixed. That's part of what it means to live in a sin and full world and a broken world. It's just we're not good all the time. We know that we're not good all the time. But we don't just kind of have desires and then we act. We actually have two key things that shape our behavior. First is our perspective. Our perspective is how we think life works. This is how we view Life. So our perspective is telling us all the time, this is the good life. This is the bad life. This is how you should relate to somebody. Here's how you shouldn't relate to somebody. But beyond that, it's it's actually how you see things. And that's connected to our values and our values is what's important to us. What is it that we really want? And so many times we have things in our heart that we really want 
that impacts our relationships. Some values that we have are we, we do want to be loved. That's not a bad value. Uh, we want friendship. That's not a bad value. We want to be loved, cared for. Then we have other values like we want comfort. We want convenience. We want people to help us. And sometimes as these values of like comfort and convenience come up, that's where our relationships can begin to have some conflict. Because I want comfort. And so I need the other person to help me achieve my comfort or I want convenience. So someone else inconveniences me. Now I have an issue with my my values. There's something I really want. Maybe I love this person, but I also love convenience. So what do I do in a relationship when someone inconveniences me? All this kind of determines our behavior, which is last. See, I really spent my life thinking that for me to change, I have to stop my behavior. And we we tend to tell ourselves this a lot. Have you ever just kind of said, stop doing that? Just if I could just stop doing that or why am I doing that? I just need to stop it or I just need to start it. And we look all the time at the behavior that the end result, what we do. But the reason we do what we do is because of how we see things and what's important to us, how we see things is our perspective. So specific in this idea of manipulation and relationships, oftentimes our, our perspective is this person needs to meet my needs. Oftentimes we spend a lot of time in our relationships thinking how someone else can meet our needs. That is a really crucial perspective to know, because if you think this person is going to meet your needs, then what they do or don't do to help you do that is going to determine the quality of the relationship. If this person's really helping me meet my needs, our relationship is good. If this person's not helping me meet my needs, our relationship is bad. And it's not as cut and dry as that, but that's a key perspective we have. This person can meet my needs. Another perspective we have in a relationship is I deserve to be helped by you. I deserve it. From all that I've done to you, I deserve for you to help me. It's another perspective. Um, I need you to do this. There's a sense of like, I need you to do this for me. And then another perspective is they should. They should do it. They should help. I need you to help. You should help. And all that perspective is really important because that trickles into how we actually relate to them, what we actually do. And again, when you pair that with our values, what's important to us, all of this works together in how we treat other people. And so at the root of this manipulation, as we look at the behavior and how we can sometimes play games with people, how we can kind of get them to do what we want, we can guilt them, we can have a hidden agenda, we can you know, expect things from it. It really is rooted in this idea of, I really want them, I need them, and they should meet my needs. Part of the ways relationships become so hard is you have two people that are both looking at each other to meet their needs and they're not giving in the relationship. They're both taking. And over time, if two people are taking in a relationship, the relationship just hollows out. It's dead. There's no life left. And so God actually has this whole reality of life figured in, in that he knew that we needed help and to depend on someone. And he actually made relationships. He made Adam and Eve in the beginning to serve a role for each other where they are helpers to each other. They are meeting each other's needs. But there was always this understanding that one other person could never 
meet your needs alone. Another person can't do what only God can do. And so, so many times we manipulate, and it's deeper than the manipulation. It's connected to, we want this person to meet our deepest needs. And I want to spend the rest of our time talking about, there is no one, no matter how strong, no matter how smart, no matter how wise, that can meet our needs. Our deepest needs. That, that's only God's role. And so I want to spend some time talking about Psalm 62. And I'm going to run through this, but Psalm 62 If you ever read the scriptures, specifically the Psalms, a lot of times you see just the experience of wrestling with how to depend on God in the midst of life. And this is a Psalm of of David, and he's kind of talking about how he's clinging to the hope of God being the only one that can really help him. And so this is written like like it's poetry. And so as you read it, there's a sense in which you should be getting a picture in your head. So as I read it, I want you to kind of get a picture of your head. What what is he viewing God in his situation in his life? And then how is he viewing the, viewing those around him? And what are you left with at the end of it? And so I kind of want to go through this uh, quickly. So for God alone, my soul waits in silence from him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. So David's describing life it, bringing all sorts of things. The picture I had is like this idea of the the ocean and life can feel like that. You've got waves and currents coming in and out and tides and that can be like people and circumstances. And he's saying like in the midst of the craziness and the movement and the current that's pulling me, there is one rock and it's God. He's my rock. He's my salvation. The idea of a rock is it can't be moved. So if you hold on to the rock and you're in the ocean, you're secure. If you climb on the rock, you can be saved. So there's a stability and saving that can come from turning to God in the midst of hard things. And so when we are feeling like we have to get somebody to help us or we are going to just spiral out into despair, David's saying, I felt this, but I've turned to God, my rock. He's the fortress. He I can turn to. And then he goes on, verse 3, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? So he's now describing... The rock who is God, the the fortress who can't be shaken to a man who is like a tottering fence. Just compare this big boulder in the ocean that doesn't move to a fence that's just kind of blowing in the wind. Which one would you want to climb onto? I've kind of gone on fences before and I've been on the top of fences. I don't know if you've ever. I do not like heights or climbing. I've discovered that. There are times where I was a kid where I'd get on a fence and I'd get on that top and it just felt like. The worst thing ever. And I look and are you guys experiencing this? And people like you're not moving, but everything in me was shaking. I realized it wasn't the fence. It was me. You know, it was like, whoa, it's the earthquake in Texas. You guys aren't moving. But it's not secure. I, I was freaked out. But that's what it can be. As we turn to men, they're like this tottering fence. You, you can't be stable on top of it. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths. But inwardly, they curse. He's describing his own life. Uh, His son came against him. People that he loved and was loyal to came against him. So he's describing like, if I turn to man and man is the only hope I have, I'm in trouble. But my rock, the Lord Jesus, God, he is my fortress. He can't be shaken. Then he goes on in verse five. For God alone, O my soul, 
wait in silence for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken on God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. So now some patterns emerge. And what you do is you read scripture. You really want to look at, okay, what, what's being repeated? What's being emphasized? You want to ask these questions. What are the themes? And so waiting on God is, is mentioned above like twice. So there's an emphasis, like you need to wait on God. So in the midst of depending on others versus depending on God, there's just times where you have to wait on God. He is the one that will help you. But you have to wait on that help. There's a tendency where, but I need to help this, from this person right away. Well, they're not the rock. Now, people can help you and God's given us relationships to meet needs. But at the end of the day, when it all comes down to what we really need and where our hope is, you have to wait, wait on God for him to come through. Uh, refuge and, and fortress, which shows security in God, that's mentioned four times. A God as a rock is mentioned three times. Uh, the stability and the might of God. So David is building this case. Should we spend our life trusting in man? Or should we turn to the God who can help us no matter what we face? And he continues in verse, uh, in verse uh, eight, I think, is it, or seven. Can you go to seven? So on God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Then go to eight. It says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So they've been talked this, this rock, this stability, this fortress. And then it shifts. And now we get a new picture. O people, pour out your heart before him. The, kind of the word picture here is like a jug that, that's full. And in our lives, we have things that we need to happen, like needs that we have. Maybe we're worried about something and we need something to come through at work. Uh, maybe we we're feeling down and we just need somebody to, to cheer us up. Maybe we're fearful and we need strength. We need courage. We all have these things. And what tends to happen in our life is we fill them up in, in a jug. And in the jug is the, our needs. And what tends to happen in our relationships, we take this jug and we go to somebody and we just go to them and we just pour it out and just... Dump it on their head. Now, that would be an awesome illustration if I actually did that this morning, except for the person that I picked. That's how manipulation works. It's depending on somebody to meet my needs. You get dumped on. Nobody likes to get dumped on. Because you weren't prepared for that. But that's what happens. It just it blasts you. And what David is saying is don't take all of your concerns, all of your needs, all of your problems and look and just try to find somebody that can take that. Even the person that's closest to you, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a parent, whether it's a close friend. You actually need to turn to God first. Pour out your heart before him. There's a sense of all the things that you're dealing with. Turn to God first. Pour out that to him. This is why we're commanded to live by faith, not by sight. Because sight is what we see and it's all the people we see. And so we just want to latch on. You have to help me. You have to help me. But faith is God can help me. I can pour this onto him. He's the rock. He's the salvation. He's the fortress. So the picture kind of changes. And then in verse 9, those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together, lighter than a breath. 
There's a sense in which we face life and we feel all our concerns and we look at our jug and all the things that we have going on. We look at people and we think comparison like and manipulation is tied to comparison to like. Why can't my life be like that person? They have it so much easier than me. How come they have this and I want that? Or we look and we think, well, I'm not as bad like this person. They're just flying off the handle. They're going through some crazy stuff. At least my life's not as bad and tumultuous as theirs. But again, David's saying, don't look at your view of people. He's saying people that are that are low, that maybe experiencing crazier things than you. Compared to that, the people that seem like they have everything together, they're they're just but a breath. There's ups and downs. We have good. We have bad. We can't spend our time looking at other people and what they have together, comparing that to what we do or don't. Because, again, they're not the rock. They're not the fortress. So David's encouraging us, like, continue to look up, continue to see what's really going on. And then he says, put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. This is actually manipulative strategy. When you extort people, you're trying to do something to them so they can get you what you want. You leverage something. You mislead them. You deceive. That's what was happening in the movie. Set no vain hopes on robbery, like just what you can take from somebody. If I can just take this from them, everything's going to get better. A lot of times it's not stuff. It's like an emotional dependence that we have. Again, we want them to meet our needs. And then he closes out the psalm in verse 11 and 12. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render a man, you will render to a man according to his work. And so he wraps this up like there's just there's power that God has. And in the first few verses, he's describing it's not just the power of God, but it's his love that he wants to be this place. He wants to be the God who we can turn to to find our, our help and our hope. And the truth of this whole psalm is that God's power and love can free us from manipulating those around us. And that's what happens as you deal with the scriptures. At least for me, when I read this, I realize that so many times I'm looking to find a rock. And I expect people to be a rock for me or I expect myself to be a rock myself. Like I just need to be stable, stable enough, good enough, strong enough. And if I'm not, then I need someone else to help me so I can do it. The scripture is saying you have to turn to God first. And I want to end with just three steps that kind of help us from that pull to want to manipulate into just some next steps and How can we do this practically? And it starts with turn to God first for help. With whatever we're facing, some of you are maybe stressed out in life. You're in conflict in life. You're trying to make ends meet. There's just this thing that you need to see happen in your plans, in your future, in what you're dealing with right now. And there's a sense in which you just, you need help. And I want to encourage you to turn to God first. Because as you turn to God first for help, he actually provides it as you turn to him. He's a gracious God. He gives us the help. And as we get the help from him, that actually allows us to not just pour out all of our needs on someone else. Because God is the one that can meet our deepest needs. 
The second is ask God to show you any manipulative strategies uh, that you're using with others. And here's just some questions I thought of to kind of draw this out. And And I have these strategies, too. And they're in my heart and I have to deal with them. But here's sometimes how it happens. Are you obligating anyone in your life right now to meet your expectations through guilt or pressure? Is there somebody that you're putting pressure on because you really need them to do something for you? And are you guilting them? And it's just there's an obligation that that maybe you, you can recognize that you see, you know what, I, I'm I'm trying to leverage them. I'm trying to use them. So just ask God to, to, to show you that. Another question. Are you frustrated in a relationship due to an unspoken expectation that is not being met? A key way to deal with manipulation is ask yourself, am I frustrated? That's the behavior. I'm frustrated. So then the perspective and value is why are you frustrated? What's important to you that is not being met? Why are you frustrated with that person? So frustration can show a lot of expectations. Has that expectation be commun- has has it been communicated? Is it right? So you have to, to unravel that. And then the third, do you make plans for others and get upset when it doesn't work out like you want? This can happen so many times. Like we have a plan and we've communicated a plan and we think everyone's together. This could be as easy as like we have roommates and we have a cleaning plan. This is how we're going to keep our apartment clean. Okay, we have a work project and we have a plan for how we're going to accomplish this goal by the time the projects due. Oftentimes manipulation happens when we have a plan and people aren't coming through with the plan. And now we have to figure out, okay, how do I get them to do what they've said? Instead of having an honest conversation, we can kind of use some different means to maybe guilt or go about it indirectly. And so just kind of ask those questions. And then the third step that really helps is appreciate the people that God has put into your life. Appreciation diminishes our right to demand. If you feel like you have a lot of expectations on people, one of the best steps you can have is turn to God first and then begin to appreciate the people God has put in your life. And one of the ways you just have to ask yourself is if you appreciate is when was the last time that you expressed appreciation to that person. When you just thank them for being a friend. When you thank them for helping you. For listening to you. For coming through to you. Because what happens is we appreciate the person. We actually are not now just looking at our own needs. We're looking at that person of the value that they have before God. When people have value before God, which they do, everyone does. We're a lot less likely to manipulate them. Because God has made them. They belong to God. They are his. It's not my right to, to have anyone do what I want them to do to meet my own needs. That's God's role. So I encourage you just kind of think through this. Like, what am I facing right now that I need to do this? And so there's some next steps that you can take uh, today connected to those three points that I just went over. And if you've not yet finished your connection card, go ahead and finish filling that out right now. Ben had you uh, begin to do that. The band's, the band's going to come up. And we're going to sing a song back to God. We're going to receive our offering. You can drop that uh, completed connection card uh, in there. But the first next step is turn to God first for help in blank. Like, what's the area where you actually need to turn and ask him for help in? And the second is 
Ask God to show you any manipulative strategies. Part of those questions that I just went over. And then the third is express appreciation to blank. Who's somebody that you need to express appreciation to? Maybe somebody that you've had expectations on. And just express the appreciation for just the way God's put them uh, in your life. So let's pray together. We're going to sing back to God. God, we, we need your help a lot to be honest with our own heart. And our heart can deceive us. And we can be blinded by things. We can actually tend to not see things as they are. And so I, I ask God that you'll really help us to see things as they clearly are. To evaluate ways that we are looking for others to meet our needs. And God, I, I ask that as we do that, we'll be really drawn to turn to you for help. Nothing is too heavy for you. Nothing is too great for you. You're not overwhelmed or surprised by anything. So God, we actually can turn to help from you and receive it. And so God, I ask that we can do that in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.